Brexit Focus with Paul Goslin and Jared Dean. So hello and welcome to the Brexit Focus podcast. Uh, my name is Jared Dean, joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? Hi, Gerard. Excited by Brexit. Well, thank God for that. So we haven't done a Brexit Focus podcast since May because we ended the last one on the promise of we'll be back when something happens and we know what's happening. We nearly know what's happening, Paul, I think it'd be fair to say. We, we know what could be happening. <laughs> Brexit, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it could actually be Brexit, but not as we know it and not on the 31st of October. Okay, so we're still tearing away. I think the context, we have to say what day it is when we're recording this, is about two o'clock on Friday the 25th of October. And this is the day that uh, Sajid Javid had said... Brexit will not meet the deadline of the 31st of October and it's the day that the EU are still considering the extension um, request, if you like, from the UK government as well. Yeah, the ambassadors from the 27 EU nations have met today and they've agreed in principle that the UK will have an extension in terms of its membership of the European Union, but they've been unable to agree the length of that extension. Okay, right. So, other than that, since the last time we've recorded a podcast, Boris Johnson has been elected as leader of the Conservative Party and therefore Prime Minister. We've had a revised withdrawal agreement agreed with the EU, the timetable of which has been rejected by the House of Commons. Boris Johnson has again offered an early election, this time for the 12th of December, and on the promise or on the guarantee that the, the bill will then be discussed right up until the, the latest date, which I think is the 7th of November or thereabouts. And of course, no deal remains um, an ever present the option or an option for Brexit. Have I captured that, Paul? Have I missed anything? You, you've got it spot on, Gerard. I mean, the default position, as determined by Act of Parliament, is that the UK leaves the European Union on the 31st of October, even though uh, Sajid Javid, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, has said today that that's not going to happen. In other words, something else now needs to happen to extend. OK, right. With a deal. Uh, there we are. Right, so with the new withdrawal agreement, the not Theresa May withdrawal agreement, what does it look like? Um, it's defining or it's looking like relationships in the future might be, if this goes through, you should say, uh, might be a lot less close between the UK and the EU. Absolutely. The, the withdrawal agreement that Theresa May negotiated was essentially that the United Kingdom as a whole would stay close to the single market and the customs union. Mm. That way, you didn't need to have to worry about a border between the north and the south of Ireland. Mm -hmm. The new withdrawal agreement takes a different approach. It says basically that Great Britain will be outside of the single market and the customs union. What it actually says is that the United Kingdom will be, but in practice, that Northern Ireland would remain part of the single market and the customs union. So yeah. uh, theoretically outside, in practice, inside. So what that means is that it shifts the border from within Ireland to the Irish Sea. So yeah. that would have to be physical checks of items going between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, probably in both directions. And it would also mean a level of paperwork attached to items going between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. Yeah, where May's deal was kind of described as best of both worlds, you're both of a thumb without this one's going to impact on business here. Yeah, um, some people are still talking about Northern Ireland having the best of both worlds because you would 
theoretically be part of the customs union in the United Kingdom mm. and in practice be part of the customs union within the European Union. Therefore, businesses that locate here, and there have been actually suggestions that some businesses would re- relocate from the Irish Republic into Northern Ireland to get those benefits. So theoretically, it is possible that business will get the best of everything in Northern Ireland. However, there's yeah. bits that are the worst of everything. So that, for example, businesses that are either importing or exporting, or shall I say, bringing items in or sending items out to Great Britain will actually be hit by additional paperwork. Additional paperwork means additional cost. So actually, it means that some businesses, particularly small businesses in Northern Ireland, will actually find it more expensive to trade with Great Britain, and they might actually therefore be more inclined to trade with the Republic of Ireland rather than Great Britain. Okay. And there's VAT complications then as well. Yeah, there's a lack of clarity over quite a lot of what the withdrawal agreement means, and that's one of the reasons why the House of Commons rejected the idea of agreeing to the bill in three days because they Mm. said we can't deal with that level of technical stuff within three days and in terms of value added tax VAT the agreement reached between the UK and the European Union is that Northern Ireland will be subject to European Union rules on VAT now quite what that means in practice we are unclear but it would seem to mean that the rate uh, for VAT in Northern Ireland would be expected to become the same as that in Ireland. Mm. Uh, It would not be possible potentially to have a lower rate of VAT in Northern Ireland than in the Republic of Ireland. Now, that's a big issue because the the main standard rate of VAT in the South is 23%, and in the UK, it's 20%. And there are other items, for example, newspapers that are zero rated in the United Kingdom, and they're subject to a 9% rate within the Republic of Ireland. Mm. Now, it may well be that for political reasons, you're not going to have a situation where VAT rates are increased in Northern Ireland in the short term to match those in the Republic. But over the longer term, if the UK government decided it wanted to cut VAT rates, then it would probably not be able to cut rates below those of the Republic of Ireland. The reason for that is the European Union is determined that there shouldn't be artificial reasons to encourage people to trade with Northern Ireland rather than the Republic of Ireland. So in other words, it wants to discourage tax avoidance, cross-border trade or smuggling uh, based around differentials in the VAT. Now, as I say, it doesn't mean necessarily that there would be an increase on VAT in the short term. But as I say, what it does mean is that if the UK government wanted to reduce its standard rate, say, to 15%, then actually it's likely that Northern Ireland wouldn't be subject to that. So there could Mm. well be a differential between the rates of VAT in Northern Ireland and Great Britain. And over the longer term, there's likely to be a standardisation of VAT between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. But there's... That is what I am told by one of the accountancy firms is its understanding, but it's not necessarily the final word on these things. Okay, hence the need for more debate and discussion. Well, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you had a situation where one of the government ministers was in committee in the House of Commons a few days ago, and he was asked... Is there going to be customs paperwork for items uh, for goods sent from Northern Ireland to Great Britain? And he said no. His officials then sent him a few words and said he came back. Actually, yes, there would be. So you've got government ministers that are lacking in clarity. 
what I'm told is the only people who really understand what this is likely to mean are revenue and customs, uh, not government ministers and not necessarily some of the civil servants in other departments. Okay. You feel, or uh, you've written an article recently, Paul, where you say the withdrawal agreement kind of reflects what the UK trade and future might look like and that it mightn't be focused within this geographical area, if you like. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I had an article up this week on the detail website which uh, gives uh, my attempt at clarity in terms of what the withdrawal agreement mm. means for Northern Ireland. And one of the things that uh, I, I'm making the point is that the the economists uh, that argued for Brexit said essentially, well, the European Union is not expanding very fast in terms of its economy. The, the areas of growth are in the Americas and Asia-Pacific region, um, China, India. Uh, and we need to increase our trade with those areas where their economies are still expanding fast rather than with countries like Germany and France where growth is fairly slow. Mm. Now, the logic behind that is that you expand services because if you're really trying to expand goods, trade, then actually you'd be doing that with the countries that are very close to you, not the ones that the other side of the world. And already, Great Britain exports, 80% of what Great Britain exports is in uh, services, not Mm. in goods. However, Northern Ireland, less than 20% of what Northern Ireland exports is in goods. Okay. Is in, in services. Sorry, let's just yeah. go back to make sure absolute clarity here. <laughs> so around 80% of what Great Britain exports is in services. Around 20% of what Northern Ireland exports is in services. Therefore, what you're seeing is a completely different economic shape in Great Britain and that in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland remains essentially a manufacturing economy plus a public sector services economy. It has a small private sector services economy that sells internationally. That's very different from Great Britain. So therefore, you can see, in a sense, a different reason why Northern Ireland might not be subject to the same economic relationships as Great Britain in terms of membership of the customs union in the single market, because Northern Ireland is economically different to Great Britain. Mm. And the, the logic of Great Britain being outside the customs union, outside the single market, doesn't apply in Northern Ireland, which is why we are potentially facing a very different future. And I think an, an extra word on this, Gerard, we've had Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach and the, the Republic, saying as a result of the withdrawal agreement that the Republic will accept its responsibility for reshaping the economy in Northern Ireland in terms of putting its own money into infrastructure improvement in Northern Ireland and also into expanding the higher education sector in Northern Ireland. Mm. So you can actually see that it's not actually saying, well, we're, we're predicting a united Ireland, but implicitly what it's saying is we're recognising the possibility of a united Ireland and we want to help to reshape, to sort out the Northern Ireland economy before it becomes a burden on the, uh, a, a unity, a, a united Irish state. Yeah, I suppose it, this is such a small place anyway. 
we have to make sure that this whole island's doing well, no matter what. Absolutely, and and you know, you and I have been involved in the in the Four Together podcasts, and some of the people who made the point there, uh, for example, um, Professor Jim Dornan made the point that well, six million people across the whole island, in a sense, that is an economic entity, and to break it into two different jurisdictions creates a lot of problems in terms of efficiency. So actually, if you've got six million people in one island, you actually have to achieve economies of scale by bringing the two jurisdictions together to to be efficient as a place. And from the point of view of the the, the, the uh, Irish Republic, then clearly expanding its markets into Northern Ireland and to achieve economies of scale through better infrastructure, higher levels of productivity in Northern Ireland, that all makes sense from the point of view of the South, as well as making points that making sense for, mm. for, for Northern Ireland. Okay, so, and then to get back to the withdrawal agreement, I think one of the other things that is worth mentioning is the consent element that that has been built on and the fact that there's consent needed for the alignment that's detailed from within Northern Ireland. Yes, the withdrawal agreement says that the Stormont Assembly will have the ability to uh, say it doesn't like the continued arrangements and to end them. Uh, the DUP wanted to have a veto on existing arrangements and it wanted that uh, to, for future arrangements would have to get consent by both the main traditional communities. Mm. Uh, there's, a, there's a series of problems around this, the first of which is there is no consent for the majority of the population in Northern Ireland for Brexit as it stands. Mm. Um, secondly, it is difficult to see how any arrangement would gain the consent of both the main traditions. Third, actually, the two main traditions, neither of them now represent the majority. We actually have you know, a, a third very large section of the population that wouldn't regard themselves as either traditionally unionist or traditionally nationalist. Mm. Uh, and so how do you deal with that? And that's actually one of the points that Leo Varanka has raised, the fact that, in a sense, that third part of our population is disenfranchised from the arrangements for Stormont and yeah. that Stormont needs to reconsider these. And that's actually also something that Colin Eastwood from the SDLP has also raised by saying that what this means is that we have to abolish the petition of concern, which operates in a very similar way to the consent principle that the DUP is arguing would apply to the withdrawal agreement and the future relationships. Yeah, all of which also hopes that Stormont does get back up and running. Well, that is the other key problem with all this, that we've not had Stormont for more than a 1,000 days, yeah. uh, and who would put money that we will get it within the next 1,000 days? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this, the, uh, and the other thing on this, Gerard, is that this is still a withdrawal agreement that went through second reading. It d- has not passed in legislation in Parliament. It is subject to potentially significant delay, significant scrutiny, possibly major amendment. So everything we've talked about could be out of date in a few days' time. Aye, OK. And I suppose that's... I was going to ask you how it impacts here, how it impacts us in the North West, but it does... God knows, because God knows what amendments are going to be brought or what level of details come out. Or I think that the key, the, the, there's two key things that we can learn from what's happened in the last few days. One of which is that the great hope by the Conservative Party was that technology provided solution mm. to the border within Ireland. It is now pretty well accepted by everybody that it doesn't, that the technology doesn't necessarily work. And actually, in a very tragic way, you can see with the death of 39 migrants that actually all the international uh, travel 
didn't detect 39 dead people in a, a, in a, yeah. a, 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 a truck container. Uh, and you can see that, you know, if the technology that's supposed to be able to detect that didn't detect that, that actually the recognition by the British government is that in future under the with this World War Agreement, the items coming into the ports in Great Britain would be subject to paperwork, not simply technology that technology doesn't solve it so you can see there's an acceptance now it's physical checks actually there has to be physical checks so that's the first thing and the second thing is that i think everyone recognizes that the the border in ireland just cannot work so you have to find an alternative solution and it comes down to there being three possible solutions one of which is that the uk as a whole remains within the single market and customs union Mm -hmm. the second is that you have a border in the irish sea and the third is that the the ireland itself the republic of ireland excludes itself from the single market and customs union or excuses itself in some ways and the government there has said absolutely Uh, it is not going to do that as has the european union okay so We'll get to finish this Brexit podcast series yet, you know. Um, Paul, thank you very much for today, for bringing a wee bit of clarity, or in fact, a lot of clarity to what's happening out there. Um, Thank you for listening. We definitely will be back when we know what's happening with Brexit, for sure. We're making that commitment. But thanks for listening, and we'll be in touch again soon.